investi besties, investing can sometimes seem pretty overwhelming, right? With all the news about inflation, interest rates, and just how everything seems so much less affordable nowadays. It just seems more frustrating when it comes to building that wealth nest. That's why our friends at Moby have your back. Moby is this incredible new app built by a team of former Morgan Stanley investors that are making financial education as simple as browsing a social feed. Moby will create for you a jargon-free update on what's happening in the financial markets every day of the week while giving you hand-picked stocks that cater to how you want to be investing. The best part, the team has consistently beaten the S&P 500 by over 11.9% for the past four years. A very important topic for our generation nowadays is how to get wealthy in an economy broken for young people. The most simple, understandable way for anybody, young or old, to start building their wealth for themselves starts with building confidence in how you invest, and so if you're ready to build your confidence in your investing, you can earn more money with Moby while spending less time, energy, and money on doing so. Join over 5 million people investing smarter, happier, and safer with Moby, the jargon-free app on where you should be investing and what companies you should be considering for your portfolio. Sign up for Moby Premium today by using the GTI code in the episode description box, and you can get a full year of Moby Premium for just $8.25 a month. Remember, just click on the link in the description to get started today. Hello and welcome to Girls That Invest. Today we have a very special episode for you where I get extremely candid and have a award-winning psychologist, Dr. Lolita, come in and talk to me about all things money, personality, money mindset. She has a huge following on social media, 137,000 followers on Instagram alone. She is so amazing at what she does and we're basically going to break down the psychology of money with a millionaire. I hope you enjoy it. I hope I don't embarrass myself and let me know what you think. Let's get into the show. So Simran, thank you so much for being part of this um, podcast episode. I'm really excited to learn more about your journey and understand what is it that's got you to where you are because what we see on social media and who you actually are, I know there'll be two different things. So I'm really excited to, to learn more. So First of all, are you able to just give an introduction of who you are, what you're about, so other people can understand? Yeah, of course. My name is Simran Kaur. I am the founder of Girls That Invest. And what am I about? I'm very much like the world advocate for female empowerment. Like I remember when I started one of my side hustles, someone was asking my dad, like, what is it that she does? And it was almost comical the way he answered. He was like, oh, she's just really into helping women. So this is just one of her other ways to do that. But yeah, I've had such a fun journey before Girls That Invest. I had a social enterprise called The Indian Feminist that was all about getting more women to talk about feminism, speak on it in a way that was more positive. When we were younger, feminism was like the F word. It was like, oh, no, 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 I support women, but I wouldn't call myself a feminist. And so it was changing the way that we identified And now with Girls That Invest, it's changing the way we identify and saying, no, you know what? I am good with money. In fact, I'm an investor. So Girls That Invest, where does that name come from? I was really inspired by Girls That Code or Girls Who Code. It's actually a charity and they were all about helping women, well, yes, girls get into coding, software engineering. My dad's a software engineer and it seemed very male dominated. And I was like, I love that name because it makes it seem less 
what's the word, just less confrontational. Like I was kind of weighing that up with women that invest and women that invest just seems like a woman in a pencil skirt with a briefcase who has her life together and she's got a blowout and her nails aren't chipped. And I was like, I don't really identify as that. And if we call it that, I don't know if the average woman is going to feel like they identify as a woman, but if we call it girls that invest, they're going to go, oh, I'm definitely older than a girl. I'll be fine. This is for me. And where has your passion come from just to help females? Like, Where do you feel like your energy and your drive, your passion, where, where does that stem from? You're just like into the into the questions straight away. Yeah, straight in, Simran. Come on. <laughs> this is a podcast that gets into the nitty-gritty. I love it straight away. <laughs> I found that my desire to help came from possibly seeing women around me and my family that didn't get access to that. So whether it was access to feminism, whether it was access to financial literacy, just growing up and watching, you know, my uncle and aunties, just little things like you know, it would be at a dinner table and an uncle would say something quite rude to an auntie of mine. You know, her husband would say something. He'd call her a name or he'd be like, oh my God, you're so stupid. And she'd just laugh it off. And I remember just sitting there as a child being like, that's not very nice. Like he always talks quite negatively to her or watching uh, another uncle sit down and like complain about his wife's spending. But the only thing she would buy was like for the house. Like she would only buy furniture to make the house nicer or clothes for the kids. Like she wasn't a big spender for herself. She was just trying to make a home and he couldn't even see that. He just saw, my goodness, like what a financial burden she is. And yet he was the one that had, when they got together said, Hey honey, like I want you to stop working so I can take care of things. How can you possibly ask your partner to stop working and then 20 years later throw it back in their face. Yeah. So it sounds like you've been really sensitive from a very young age that you've noticed these little things. And as a as a young sort of child, you're like, hang on, that's not right. That's not okay. And I wonder if that's how you felt like that's not fair or that's not okay that that's been said. Absolutely. I was one of the, um, I guess I was the first child in my family to grow up in a Western um, system. And so, you know, going to school one way, learning one thing, not to say one way was right or the other way was right, but just seeing two very different cultures going to school, being told, you know, men and women are equal. We should have equal opportunity. Everyone should be helping at the, you know, with domestic chores and everyone should be treated with respect. And then going to events within my community or the temple or seeing things at home and going, okay, this feels like I have a different sense of right and wrong. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm smiling when you're saying certain things because I'm like, yes, I get that. And I get that. Um, because I remember going, again, being one of the first generation to um, grow up in the Western world. And you're there, you're going into school. And it's like, right, well, here's the fairness. This is what we do. And then you come home and your grandma's like, right, give the food to the boys first. Let them eat. And you're like, <laughs> what? Like, I'm a little bit confused. But you were very confused. But it became a norm. It became a norm that at, at home, this is what you do boys do this, girls do this. And there's, you can clearly see that divide, but it, you don't understand it until I suppose you get older. Well, I didn't understand it until I got older. I was like, hang on, this has not been fair. And I've been that real sort of cycle breaker um, in my household where I've been like, that's not fair. And why isn't he doing the mop? And why isn't he doing the hoover to my brother? So they've had it it's sort of fair <laughs> in some ways. Um, and I wonder if you've had that sort of similar experience um, being a cycle breaker or being someone who challenges certain ways of how our sort of the the other generation have been and and sort of thinking about hang on we're in this western world and trying to understand your identity in this space 
Oh, absolutely. I often describe it as having like two different sides of me pulled. And there's the one side of me that's pulled in one direction and the other side pulled in the other. And you don't really fit in either in terms of your ideas of what equality looks like or what fairness looks like. I do have a younger brother. He's seven years younger. So the poor kid was like four years old and I would be like, he should be mopping. (laughs) (laughs) These poor little brothers. (laughs) Yeah, the poor guy, like just, yeah, it it was quite funny. My parents would be like, he is a child. And I'm like, yes, but he's a man. Are you not getting him to do work because he's a man? He should be doing work. But my parents were great. They were very much strong believers of go get your education. Do not rely on anyone. I remember my dad telling me when I got older, he said, you know, Simran, once you were a bit younger and I asked you what you wanted to do when you grow up and you said you wanted to be a housewife. And he was saying to me, he was like, at that time, it kind of broke my heart. Like, I want you to have your own money and have your own finances. I don't want you to grow up in the way that I've seen other women in my life grow up where they don't have the chance to do their own thing. Like, sure, you can become a housewife down the track if you want to, but have systems in place where if that doesn't work out, you do have a job or you do have a degree or you have skills or a business or something where you can move on and you're not, you know, at the whim of someone. And I think that was quite helpful, you know, having both sets of parents being very supportive of just my very independent nature. Because it's just carried through. Like I often tell people my first home when I bought it, I like texted my parents the link to the house. I was like, do you like this house? They were like, yeah, it's nice. And I was like, good, I've just bought it. And and that was like the involvement that my parents had in my first home purchase. I think a lot of people grow up being like, you know, they show their friends and family, they're really excited, they ask everyone's opinions. And I was like, no, I know what I'm doing. I'll be fine. There's almost like this real trust in yourself, isn't it? Like, I know what I'm doing and I know I'll be fine. And if anything happens, I've got this. And I wonder what that is. Is that strength? Is that courage? Like, what? what is that? There's a quote that I found really helpful. It was from Tumblr back in the day, which I was I was such a fan of. And it said, a bird is not scared of a falling branch because it has faith in its wings. I think that's so beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. I I mean, it's given me goosebumps now, but I used to love it. And I would tell myself it all the time, like, you don't know what's going to happen to you in life, but it doesn't matter because you've got faith in your own wings. You'll fly off, you'll find another branch, you'll be okay. And has there ever been times where like you, the, the branch has broken and you've questioned your wings or you've questioned like, hang on a minute, what's going on here? Or it's been a struggle for you? Because I think that's what can happen is at that moment where it where it is a struggle and you're just trying to find like your wings again in some ways has that ever happened I think day to day like in the in the details and the moments absolutely but long term I always know I'll be fine and so for example there was a time in my life where I just something had happened I, I don't usually like to get in the details but something had happened and I was really upset that I had not seen the warning signs of it coming it was a person that came into my life it was a very unkind person. And I was like, how did I miss the quote unquote red flags in this? Like I pride myself in seeing the red flags. And that was a real like shaker of my faith in myself. Like, how did I miss this? What happened? I went to therapy about it. I was like, this has weirdly really affected my identity. How did I let this kind of person into my life? Yeah. And so there's moments like that. And in business, of course, like I've never had someone I know 
run a business in the way that I run a business. And so it's always been a little bit difficult to know what the right thing to do is. So there have been moments like that, but I, I always find that if I don't have the answer, I can find someone with the answer, whether that's going to therapy, whether that's finding business mentors, whether that's talking to friends who have had similar experiences. That's all kind of, you know, been aiding in, in the whole idea of using your own wings. Yeah. And I think that's beautiful is that we're, we are imperfect. All of us, like even as a therapist, people will think like I've got everything together and everything's all perfect and hunky-dory. But it's like we also have our own therapy or we also go through things and, and it's completely normal to do that. So just because you started a business or just because things have happened, it's okay to be imperfect with that. But knowing that you don't have to stay in that space if you get stuck, there's options there to try and help and support you and also to learn from it. Like, hang on, like, for example, what you were saying just there about the, how did I miss the red? It's like, what what's going on within me in that space or what happened in that space? And then also even just during business, the amount of ventures that I've started and I'm like, why did I do that? And when you're <laughs> looking back at things and you start thinking about decisions and choices, but you wouldn't be where you are now if these things didn't, didn't happen. And the insight and the wisdom that you get from them is really powerful. And it just allows you just to keep trying to um, integrate that into who you are now. And, and as you move forward, you'll have the same sort of thoughts like, well, I thought I was wise then. <laughs> You're changing, don't you? And I suppose, do you see that with yourself and where you've been and the journey you've been through? Oh, absolutely. I often like, I've never said this out loud, but I often like tell myself if something like terrible happens, like a terrible chapter or a terrible week or a terrible day, I just tell myself, you know what, this is going to be a really good chapter in the book of my autobiography that I'm writing for myself. You know, I'm not trying to commercialize it, I promise. No, go for it. I think people need to hear this. People need to hear the work that you're doing and also helping and supporting people ultimately. Do you know what? I, I, I will think about it. But I, I often tell myself, like, if I was going to write an autobiography when I'm older or the stories I'm going to tell my grandkids or my nieces and nephews, this is just going to be like a character development scene where they're like, and then grandma had to realize that not everyone, you know, has their best interest in heart, but that was a journey. And then she learned that and she grew. Yeah. Yeah. And even when you say that, like, um, not everyone's going to have your best interest. I find when people come into therapy, that's one of the biggest things that people will take away is that they think that people will treat them like the way that they treat others. But what they learn is not everyone's going to be there for you. Not everyone's going to put you as a priority. But if you've learned to do that over time from your patterns and your upbringing and the way that you've been in life, eventually you get to a point, like you said, where you can get stuck and feel like, why does this keep happening to me? And I mm. see a lot of clients where that same thing tends to happen is, why is it that people are treating me in this way? And it, they, what they realize is it's because they've had their heart on their sleeve. They've been caring mm -hmm. too much or being available too much for other people and realizing when they've had their sort of like downtime, no one's been there in that capacity for them. And that's where it's really hit them and almost like shaken them into a space where it's like, I now realize I have to put myself first. And that's been a big hard thing of sitting with the guilt that can come up of putting yourself first because sometimes being a female, you're, you're so used to giving, giving, giving to everyone else and you're taught to give, give, mm -hmm. give. When visitors come, you give to them, you make sure that they're all okay. You make sure everyone's all okay. And it's sort of ingrained within you. So what I do tend to find, especially with female um, clients is the guilt and how overwhelming the guilt is. And I wonder if you see that in your work and, and what you're doing. Guilt around my work? Oh, absolutely. I think most areas of my life, I've, I would say I've got down pretty well as as well as I can have them but I get so guilty 
And it's so interesting. And I didn't even realize it. I often say like, I should, like in my work day, it would be like, okay, today I probably should do this and I probably should do that. And I probably should send that email and I should probably follow up on that thing. And when I went to therapy, because I was like, hey, I'm just so burnt out. She was like, why are you using the word should so much? It's all like, you're constantly making yourself feel guilty for things that you haven't done. If you want to do it, you could be like, hey, today I could send that email. I could follow up with that person. I could come up with this idea. Those are good ideas, but to should your way through life and business, you're always just going to feel like you're behind. You're always going to feel like you're not doing enough and that's going to set you up for a very negative long-term experience with business. Yeah. And did you feel like you were able to regulate that guilt or did you find that that took time to do? And once you did sort of overcome that, did you find a difference in how you were showing up in your sort of working life and, and personal life? I think I'm still figuring that one out. I, I find that, you know, I'll wake up, I'll start working. I have my day planned out. And by the end of the day, I'm like, oh, I don't feel good. I There were so many things I should have done. I'm like, ah, it's happened again. You're shooting your way through work. You shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that. Look, I've done it again. You probably would benefit from not spending every single day feeling guilty about what you haven't done. There's more to do, hire out. If there's more to do, cut back. Like there are just other ways of dealing with it. I think as business owners, maybe this is a South Asian thing. Maybe this is a female thing. Maybe it's just a Simran thing, but <laughs> I just feel like I have such a responsibility to put out good work into the world. And when it doesn't feel that way, I feel really bad about it. I think that's a general thing I've, because I've, I, I feel like that. Like if I'm posting something, if I'm doing something, I feel terrible if I'm if I don't feel like I've given it my 100% but also if I'm not if, if I don't give 100% I'm just like I'd rather not do it and then you feel bad mm. for that because you're just like oh no but I need to be doing this and I need and then you just have to set yourself like okay look your worth is not dependent on how much you've done productivity wise not dependent on how much work you're doing it's actually your worth is separate to that and that's what I've learned over time is that right we need to separate the two and your worth is separate from your productivity and I think that that's easy to get caught into that it's so easy to get caught in okay I've had a really like I haven't had a good day today and when you ask well why what's been what's gone on on your day it's like well I didn't get through my list or I didn't get through to all mm. the things that I was meant to get through and I was like but is that really how you're defining how good your day is? And I wonder if that's something that you also experience. Oh, without a doubt. Like the ability to look at my day and say, okay, I, I ticked everything off. That to me is a good day. And when those that doesn't happen, I'm like, oh, I'm lazy or I'm unproductive or like what's wrong with me? And it's really good to have good friends in your life and good family members. I often like open up to my friends and family and say to them, I just don't feel like I'm doing enough and they will shake me. They will like hold my shoulders and shake me and they're like, what is wrong with you? Just go and like look at what you've achieved in the last month. And I'm like, okay, in October I did get on a billboard in Times Square and go to Google and have a dinner at Snapchat and I did meet all these amazing people that have helped GTI and we've become partners with XYZ and we did a talk in three different states that sold out. I guess we, that happened, but I just don't feel like I'm being productive. And they're like, listen to yourself. Listen to yourself. And do you celebrate your wins? No. Because look how, like, when you were talking just there, it was like, Dan, I've been on Times Square. It's like, oh my goodness, this is amazing, Severin. And I'm wondering how you feel about it. I think I'm getting better at it. I think it's important to, I just don't, 
funnily enough, with girls that invest, I just don't like spending money. So I've always thought, oh, like if I have a win, I have to go out and grab dinner or I have to buy myself something. And that's going to be a problem if I'm doing that every single time something happens. But I think celebrating your wins can look like just going out to the beach. I live near the beach, going out to the beach and having a beach walk. Or I love I love doing my own nails. It could look like just buying myself an extra nail polish color because I've just been rotating through the same three colors and I'm sick of it. It's little things like that that I believe we can do. Even we had our end of year work Christmas party this year and that was really lovely. I've never done one before because I've never had, you know, a team bigger than two people. So to do that this year and sit around with people that have helped this brand grow, that have helped us create, you know, amazing content for hundreds of thousands of women and minorities around the world. I'm like, see, this is amazing to celebrate them. I'm so proud of what they've achieved. I want them to know how, you know, just thankful I am for their journey of, you know, wanting to work with us. And yet for my own milestones, I like don't have a little party for myself or I don't do things for myself, but I'm trying to. So one of the things that was really important to me is I love jewelry. Like it's the South Asian in me, gold, can't help it. But I've never bought anything because it's, you know, a bit expensive. And I decided, I said to myself, okay, when I hit my first big million dollar milestone, the company makes a million dollars, I'll buy myself a gold bracelet. And and I did. And when the company hit its second million this year, I was like, should I buy a second bracelet? That was what I told myself I would do every time. But, you know, this Cartier bracelet, it's like 4,000 US dollars. Like that's not a cheap bracelet. That is more expensive than the first car I used to have when I was in college or university. And I really went back and forth and I toyed with it. And I asked our Girls That Invest community on my Instagram where I was like, hey, should I buy this? Or is this like, am I leaning into my values or am I like just going off the tracks a little bit? And the amount of our community members that were like, look, you buying this helps us feel like we can celebrate our wins because we're also not celebrating them. And I just thought, you know, that's a very weird way to justify $4,000, but I've made my second million. It's not a financial concern. It's more of a mental block. And I did it. How beautiful is that? But also it's like you said, it's like you're sitting with it. You're asking yourself, okay, what's my intention here? You're trying to really understand. That's what I hear. It's like you're really trying to deep deep dive and understand what this block might be or is it a block? And then it's like, you know what? I'm going to do this. And here you are. Like, And it's just, it's not like you said about, oh, look at this. I've got this. It's almost like I've worked for this and I've achieved this. And there's almost like an association with look at what I've done and look what I've achieved. So it's the connection perhaps that you have with it rather than it as a sort of like a product. Does that make sense? Yes, it's it's the reminder because I don't have many physical reminders. Like I am such a minimalist. My house is very empty. The, the picture frame that you see behind me is the only thing on the wall in this entire home. So I don't have a lot of visual reminders of things that have been achieved. But yeah, I guess so. Going back to, I'm going to make use of this session. I wanted to ask you, what okay. do you find really helpful for people that still put their productivity and their worth together? Like what do we need to do to change that? So for me, it goes straight back into guilt. So when what yep. tends to happen is 
when we are feeling that feeling of, oh, I'm feeling really, really overwhelmed because I haven't got through my to-do list or I didn't get through all the things that I needed to do or I let someone else down or someone needed me to do this and I've overcompensated for all of that, what can tend to happen is you can end up feeling guilt. And when you're feeling guilt, you don't know how to regulate it. So the way that you've learned to regulate it is be high functioning, be high functioning and keep yourself functioning and do this for this person, do this for this person, do this. And everyone sees you as being organized and the one who's got it all together. But then behind the scenes, you're stressed. You're like trying to like meet, get ends meet, like you're not sleeping properly. All of these different things are going on behind the scenes, but no one sees that. So the, the answer to your question is we need to learn to regulate our guilt. And to do that is that we need to sit in the guilt because right now your nervous system is feeling so dysregulated because you haven't got through your to-do list, but it's not about the to-do list. It's about how you're regulating your emotion that perhaps you haven't learned to do. So there's something really powerful in that. Oh, that is very helpful. Thank you. No problem. But it's taken me years to overcome the guilt side. Like for a long time, I have been a people pleaser. I've been someone who's overcompensating, making sure everyone else is all okay. And I think it's so easy for us to say, just sit in the guilt and that's it. Because the guilt feeling, although yes, you understand it, the guilt feeling might be really, really strong, like in your stomach, in your chest. Everyone feels it in a different place. But it's also trying to understand, okay, when it does come up, it's it's trying to understand and vocalize what it's trying to say. So it's saying that you're a bad person because that person now is upset with you or that person over there feels let down. But sometimes that's assumptions that we create. We create these mm. assumptions based on what we think these people are now going to do. So they're going to get angry or I'm going to lose my job or they're never going to give me any work again. And we, we can run off down a rabbit hole of all these sort of like negative thoughts of these um, experiences that might happen. But these aren't realistic because if you tell someone and express them, hey, look, I'm going to be like a day late or two days late on this, they're not going to shout and scream at you or they're not going to like say you're fired and you're sacked. That's not going to happen. So sometimes it's sitting with what is my end goal here and what is it that I'm trying to do? That's very true. I completely agree. And I see it on the other side as well, like when someone comes to us, like a contractor or someone that works with us and goes, oh my goodness, I'm going to be a day late or two days late. I'm like, it's fine. It's just a cut. Like I have to remind people, we don't save lives. We're not a medical like hospital here. Like it's if it's late, it's just an email. Yeah. And obviously if they're doing it consistently, then it's like, okay, what's going on here? We need to talk about it. But if you know it's a one-off and, or it's like, there's, it's happened a couple of times, that's fine. We're human, aren't we? Exactly. And I suppose like my, my sort of next question to you, is and more about your business because you've mentioned like the business name what does your business do and, and how does it support women if you could answer that yeah of course so girls that invest we are a media company and our mission is to help more women and more minorities invest and we do that not by offering investments but rather offering education where we say hey look if you're at the stage of your life where you go I really want to start getting better with my money in terms of growing wealth, but I have no idea where to begin because if I Google how to start investing, I am inundated with really technical jargon. I am inundated with do this, do that. By the way, like here are all these numbers and symbols that make no sense. Or if I go to an investor event, usually it is, you know, majority young men that come to these kind of events and young men usually invest in a more riskier, fast-paced, day trading kind of way. And women in general 
extremely generalizing here, but we prefer a different approach. We don't want to put all of our money into something and then figure it out as we go. We tend to prefer to understand the perimeter of what we're about to do, and then we'll jump into the pool. Men will dive in head first and, and figure it out when it comes to investing. And so we have our social media platforms where we share investing education. We have our podcast where we do deep dives. We have a best-selling book, which in March this year was the number one business book in the UK at WH Smith, which is amazing. We've had such success. And then we also do, and this is sort of our main flagship, offering an investing masterclass, which is six weeks long, which has been taken by over 5,000 women now across 60 countries. Our podcast has been listened to in over 150 countries. I didn't even know 150 countries existed until I learned that stat. And yeah, the, the main idea is how do we make investing seem like something that you talk about alongside chatting about the latest Love Island episode? Because that's what we do in our lives as investors. Yeah. And it sounds like even just offering like the education to to women, where does that passion come from from you? Because I know that you've mentioned like, okay, growing up, you've seen this sort of like divide. And it's again, it's a big thing for for someone to take on that responsibility of like, I'm going to make this change and I want to make a difference here. So where does that drive come from every day of wanting to make this um, uh, this difference? I just think every person in their life, regardless of, you know, what agenda they identify with should have freedom. And that freedom comes with financial freedom. If you have just even $1,000 or £1,000 in your bank account, you are more likely to be able to leave a situation that does not serve you. You are more likely to be able to go, okay, I have, let's say, three months of living expenses saved up. That's definitely more than £1,000 at this stage. I've got three months of living expenses saved up. I don't like my boss. My boss is making me very uncomfortable, but I can quit my job and I have three months to find my feet and find another job. I have three months to leave this abusive relationship and find a different place, set myself up, maybe go back to my parents or if I don't have that luxury, a different city. Like there are just so many more options in life when you have money and it doesn't have to be millions of dollars. It can be thousands of dollars and thousands of dollars is the difference between a woman being stuck in a situation she doesn't want to and being able to have what we call taxi money yeah and it sounds like you really like think about okay look this is um everyone's like wherever someone might be stuck in some ways let's use the word stuck it's almost like there's a choice look there's this and there's this and there's this and you show and and share the the options to them of things that they can do if they come and um, work with you is that right that that is absolutely correct and the choice isn't around you know just get more money, but it's how do you learn about investing? How do we get you to a place where you feel comfortable to get started and you have all the knowledge under you? And some of it is also psychological. How do we unlearn this idea that, oh my God, I'm just bad with the money or I'm bad with numbers. My husband or my partner, my dad used to take care of everything at home and now I've like transferred it onto another entity. They take care of it for me. We do often grow up with it's not our fault, but almost a learned helplessness that we get taught around money. Like it's just my little woman brain can't fathom this. And so part of the work that we do is also in the space of what an investor looks like. And myself and Sonia and Maya, we're all young brown women and we're investors. I mean, I angel invest, I invest in VC. Like these are things that weren't predominantly 
open for people of color, let alone women. The world has slowly started to change. I mean, it was 1974 when women could even open up their bank accounts. That wasn't that long ago. You know, like it was an up to the 80s women who had money that went to a bank and said, hey, I'd love a mortgage. Banks would say, okay, that's fantastic. You want to buy a house. You've got enough income to service the mortgage, but we still need your dad to co-sign it because you are a single woman. Yeah. And I also wonder, like, if, like, I, I also wonder there if that's where, like, it's not long ago that, that that that's where women were still sort of treated very differently. But also if this is where still the beliefs come from of like, but I can't do it. I can't do it. I need a man to to sort this out or my dad used to do it. So there's like these blocks that people can carry through and they're subconscious and they may not be aware of it until they come to you and start working with you and, and see what these blocks are, which I think is beautiful because you show them the way in some ways. Absolutely. And I think the work that we do best is we like sort of unlock your own internal belief of, oh wait, you know what? This is easy. I can do this. Like even the jargon that's used, things like, you know, a company has raised $52 million and they had a capital raise and people are like, oh, that's so impressive. What's a capital raise? Just means they raised money. Capital just means money. And it's just this like jargon that's thrown around. It's not that impressive. You know, Girl Guides raise money. We don't say Girl Guides had a capital raise of $52,000 this year. It's just the words that are used. And when we can unlearn that, we go, okay, this is actually accessible for me. I just needed a helping hand, but now I can go off and do it on my own. Yeah. And it's like when we, well, I, I suppose what you're also doing is when you're working with people, you're also working with like their internal beliefs of things that they have learned, things that they've um, sort of grown into. Because I get, again, people coming into the therapy space and they might be married, they might have kids and they might think, but I, I don't feel like I've got my identity. I don't feel like I've got or, or been able to really focus on my career. And then they say, but this is my life now. My life is my kids. And I'll challenge that. I'll be like, no, it's not. Like, you can do this. You can do this. <laughs> There's so many other things. But sometimes people are so stuck in that. And I wonder, like, what would be your advice to someone like that? If you're sitting here and you're wondering, like, okay, this is the rest of my life, whether that's financially or your family situation. If you sit here and go, okay, I have a lot of debt or I'm bad with money and I will just always struggle with my relationship with money forever. I just do not believe that we have to live our life like that. There are things that we have to do actively to uncover it. It's not going to be a case of you wake up and you go, you know what, Simran, I am good with money. And then everything changes. It is obviously deeper than that. But sometimes we talk about this thing called a scarcity mindset. And a lot of us, a lot of children of immigrants grow up with a scarcity mindset around money where we believe there is never going to be enough or that if you take money, you are taking it from someone else as opposed to this idea that, you know, there is more money being printed every single day. It's kind of bad for the world, but there is money continues to come into circulation. Money is not something that if I receive investment money that I'm taking it away from someone else. It's not a pie. It's an ever-growing pool. Even things like, you know, well, if I get money, I spend it and I'll never have any more. That's the way that we often grow up. And I'm still unlearning that. I still struggle with spending it because I'm like, well, what if all this money I have now suddenly disappears? So the solution isn't having more money because even when you do, you still have those limited mindsets. It's moving away from that and going into what's called like a growth mindset and an abundance mindset around money, which is, you know what, I might not have figured it out yet, but I'm going to find a way to increase my income, whether that's going to my boss and saying, 
what do I need to do in the next six months to upskill for you to give me a $10,000 or pound pay rise? Like, and if, if it's nothing, it's okay. Well, that's fine. What am I going to do with the limited time I have to find online courses, maybe workshops, something off LinkedIn where I can upskill and find a different job? Because the biggest pay rises we get is when we job hop every two years. Or it's, well, maybe I'm, I've hit a ceiling in my work and it's time for me to start my own business and expand. It's all about how do I grow because I can and I'm not stuck. And even if I've had the same behavior for 20, 30, 50 years, it doesn't mean that behavior has to be like that forever. It's kind of like the gym. We often think, well, if I was never really a sporty person, I can never, you know, suddenly start being one. You go into the gym and you just feel so overwhelmed by other people that have done it for so long and look at them, they're so ripped and I don't look like that. But even that person with consistency can reach their goals, but it's all about your mindset of, is it even possible for me? Because if you don't believe you are smart enough to invest or if you don't believe you are ever going to be able to have enough wealth to live a life you want rather than a life that you have to put up with, you could be given all the tools, education and resource in the world, but you will just look at it and go, oh, that's for someone else. It's not for someone like me. uh, Everything that you've just said, the word that keeps coming to mind is belief. It's the self-belief. It's the relationship that you have with money, the relationship that you have with like your career, the relationship that you have with like the strength and the courage to speak out and ask for a raise. It all comes from self-belief for, for me. And what I find is if we don't have a good relationship with ourselves, we're going to struggle with all the other relationships that we have around us. So if you're coming from a place of, I'm not good enough, I can't do that. You're not going to do it again. You're going to assume you're not good at it. And then your boss is sitting in front of you and saying, okay, where would you like to be in in five years? And you're like, "Mm, I'm not sure. Like, what do you think? And your boss might not tell you because they don't know your ambitions. They don't know your your dreams. Mm -hmm. So I think there's also something about it's delving further into ourselves, isn't it? And trying to understand and uncover, do we believe in ourselves or are we blocking and limiting ourselves from growing and developing and and being something that we're capable of? And I wonder if you see that with a lot of women that you work with. Absolutely. I mean, we hear it in our community all the time, all the emails and messages that we get from people that have listened to the podcast. It's about, I remember one really just, it made me laugh, but also spoke to me. She said, thank you for unlocking the wealthy woman inside of me. And I thought that was really interesting because we're not here to say, hey, let's all have G-wagons and live in mansions. That's not our brand at all. It's very slow and steady investing, being responsible, just, you know, getting there over time, over uh, it's not get rich quick by any means, but it's true. We have this inner view and for a long time, that person never really thought that growing just her bank account or her investment account was even an option for her. She never thought that she would ever be a wealthy woman. And now she's investing and she's investing for her children and she's growing generational wealth. And yes, it's slow and steady, but it's something that she didn't even think she could have done. I want to mention though, when it comes to self-belief, what I found in the work that we've done and the people we've met when we run events around is self-belief obviously has to come from within ourselves, but what really helps is taking inventory of the people around you and what they're saying to you and how it's impacting you. Once 
I was at a conference and someone asked the panelist, I was on the panel, someone asked the panelist, how do I improve my self-confidence? It was like a woman in business event. And one of the panelists said something that changed my life. She said, change the people around you because if you are surrounded by people that feed into your self-belief that you can do things, you're naturally going to start to feel better. If you have people in your life that are telling you, oh, Sim, like, you know, let me handle it. I don't know if you'd be able to take that. Or are you sure you want to do that by yourself? Like let someone else jump in. You've just got to get comfortable with saying to them, hey, I know you mean well, but you are undercutting or undermining what I can achieve. And it's starting to feed into this negative self-belief. And I'm trying to grow my self-belief and I need you to be on the same page as me. Yeah. And that's subliminally, like someone sending you a message. So you're sharing something And subliminally, someone saying something like, oh, are you sure you're going to do that? But that's their stuff. That's their stuff that might be coming up. But then you take that on board and you're like, oh, God, they said that I can't do it. It's like, that's not what's happened just there. So sometimes we need to know ourselves. And when you were talking, I was smiling because in in my head, I remember growing up and I had all, I always had these like business ideas. And I was like, oh, dad. And I used to go to my uncle and I was like, oh, this and this. And I used to always share these ideas. And they were like, okay, okay. They didn't take me seriously because they were just like, oh, she's (laughs) creating something. And then I remember as a result of that, I never used to share my ideas. I just used to keep them. And then I ended up, because I've always been very like creative and driven and like I've always liked to sort of invest and find it really interesting and then I remember I finally went to this one event and I was there and she the the lady at the front she was like oh you you seem really enthusiastic and ambitious and I was like okay and then she said um, let's meet for coffee so we met for coffee and I remember I had my notebook I had my it's my ideas book I had with me <laughs> I took it with me and then um, we were talking she was like oh so um what did you want to do like in the future in terms of business ideas then I opened my books slowly and I remember looking in my book and I was like I've got this idea and this and just her attitude towards me I was by the end of it I was so I it's that it takes one person to believe in you and that person I'll never yes. forget her. I'll never ever forget her because she was there and she was just like these are fantastic ideas and I was like what and it's almost like it opened something for me where it opened my belief my confidence and my I'm not crazy these are real ideas And like I said, it just takes that one person to believe in you or to listen to you or to say to you, like, that's a really good idea. Like, how can we make this happen now? How or what's the strategy? What's the plan to make this happen? And from there, everything can change for you. And I wonder if that's what you essentially do for women is you are that base, the safe base that they come to. They speak to you about what they're wanting and you give them that strategy and that plan and uncover what's going on within them oh absolutely like through our six-week masterclass it's you know the first week where people sit down and they're like god is this for me what what is this about the first week is funnily enough nothing to do with investing it is and we we say to people look we promise you you've bought the right masterclass but this week we're going to be talking about mindset we're going to be talking about uncovering and believing in yourself and understanding the history. Because I'm a huge history buff. I think understanding history is going to help you understand where we are today. And so much of that history is, you know, we never got a chance to be good with money. It's not because we're naturally bad with it. We just literally weren't allowed to go into banks. We weren't allowed to have mortgages. Our mothers could not pass this information down to us. And it was often our brothers who got, you know, the family inheritance. So why would our dad's spend time teaching it to us because they were like, look, I might as well just tell my son because my daughter's going to go off and marry someone else and their son will take care of it. Like that was how we grew up. And so it's so important to understand that there is so much out there that you can do. And a lot of times when people ask me, 
why have I become in their eyes so successful at such a such a young age when I had gotten started and what is it about me? I always said it was that I was really lucky. My parents and my school, I went to a public school, but it was a really well-resourced public school. It was an, an, it was an interesting area. Half the area around that school was extremely wealthy and the other half were like uh, like middle-class families. And so I was in the school zone. I live in a country where if you are in a certain school zone, you automatically get entry to that school for free. Went to that school and for five years, I got taught self-belief because it was an all-girls school. It was extremely female empowerment. If I went and did a physics class, everyone around me was a girl that looked like me, that sounded like me, and we were all learning physics. And when you grow up that way, you believe there is no topic in this world that you cannot learn. Because imagine if I'd gone to a co-ed school, not to say that this was the only difference, but imagine if I went to a co-ed school and I was like, oh, I'm interested in physics. And I turn up and there's three girls in my class. Because that was the experience of my friends where they went to schools like that with a mixture of boys and girls. You suddenly, subtly, no one said anything, but you suddenly start to think, is physics not for women? Is STEM not for women? Like, why is no one in this engineering class? It's just me. And I just always had my parents tell me, like, I'd come home crying because I wouldn't understand something in my class, especially physics. And my dad wouldn't say, oh, like, honey, maybe this isn't for you. Or, you know, maybe you should go do this other paper. You seem better at history. Maybe you should just take up history and, and let physics go. He would say, okay, you don't understand this. Let's go find you a tutor. Because the issue isn't your brain. The issue is maybe you're not understanding the way your teacher is telling you. Let's just find you a different teacher. And oftentimes, I reiterate this to our community. It's the thing I say after every event. It's like my life motto. If you don't understand something, whether that comes to investing or any other educational piece in your life, do not say, I'm not smart enough for this. Say, oh, the person that's teaching this to me just isn't teaching it in a way that I learn. I'm going to find a different teacher. Okay, I'm listening to a podcast and it's not making sense. Let me find a YouTube video. Okay, that didn't work. Let me find a book. Okay, maybe I need to hire someone for an hour to sit down and teach me. There's all these different options. If you exhaust all of them and you still don't get it, then maybe you can say, oh, this is outside of my reach. But I've never seen anyone come to that stage. Yeah, yeah. And everyone's different, aren't they, in how they learn, how they take things in, how they remember things. Like everyone's very different. And I suppose this is also about the comparison side as well. Like we can easily look at someone else and think, oh, like they just seem to get it straight away. Like they just seem to understand it and remember. Like I remember being at school and I was like, oh, they just like, they've got the a memory where you just see it and you remember everything on the page. And I was like, I'm there for like hours, like trying to remember everything. <laughs> so you, it, it, you naturally start to then think or doubt yourself, but it's like catching yourself when you do. It's becoming more self-aware of like, hang on, what's my subconscious mess messaging when I'm in this space now? And I may have said something and someone didn't understand me or I'm in a space where there's only two women and everyone else is, is male. What am I taking away from here? And this is where having mm -hmm. like space and self-awareness and reflection moments are really important because you can easily 
remove yourself from an opportunity because you feel like, oh, I better not go there because it's not really for women. And especially like going into events where there's like networking, business events. I've been to business events where there have been majority men and I'm like, oh, should I be here? But you're just like, no, Mm. we're going to get through this. And this is something that's important to you. So it's having that little sort of like um, conversation with yourself and that self-talk to just be your own sort of cheerleader, to remind you that you are doing this. This is something that you're capable of and not just thinking, oh, forget it, I'll leave it. Someone else can do it or this isn't for me. Mm, I completely agree. It's a journey, yeah. I would say, but it's a it's very powerful. Yeah. And life is a journey, isn't it? And there's nothing that's perfect. And even when you're investing, you'll know that when you invest in something, sometimes it's not always the, the right choice, but it's like sitting down with the intention of, okay, why am I doing this? What is this going to do for me as well? And are there other questions that you take people through to really identify if this is the right path for them when it comes to investing or career or business side of things? I think understanding your time and your why and your goals, those come together very importantly. Like if you say, look, I want to start investing because I want to just have more money in the bank. That's a good place to start, but it's not very specific. It's not the, you know, the smart goals framework as we learn about. But when you come and you say, okay, like you're watching the modules and you're starting to ask yourself, okay, well, someone's talking about having goals that are specific with time. And then you say, okay, well, I really want to be able to buy a home. My Buying a home is extremely difficult, especially in the parts of the world that you and I live, especially for young people. So I'd love to have a home deposit of £40,000 by the next five years. And when you have that, you can then work backwards and go, okay, well, based of a 7% annual return rate of the share markets, usually how much it brings, sometimes it's higher, sometimes it's lower, but annualized 7%. There's calculators to then help you figure out, well, how much money should I be putting away every single month? And then you can say, okay, it's telling me I need to put away $200 a month or £200 a month. Maybe that's workable. Maybe you decide actually I can put away a bit more. So my goal doesn't have to be five years. Now I could get that goal in four years time. And so it's really important to be able to know exactly why you want to do something. It also gives you more motivation. If you go out and you see like a stunning, I don't know, I'm trying to buy a coffee table right now. So let's say you find a stunning coffee table and it's a little bit pricey. You can then start to say to yourself, do I want the pricey coffee table Or do I want to get that home deposit? And now I'm going to maybe get the cheaper coffee table and put the rest of the money into the deposit, into, you know, the investment fund that I'm saving up with. It just gives you more context. And I found that when I was saving up for my first home, I would start doing that more and more. I would say, do I really want to go out to dinner? I've already gone out once this week. I'm not depriving myself of fun, but... The second dinner I've been invited to, maybe I'll say, let's just come to my house and we'll do a a potluck together as opposed to spending another, you know, $30. And that $30 can go towards the house and you almost gamify it. Yeah, yeah. And I think even that, like when you're saying that, it's intention. It's intention of like, hang on a minute, I've done this. Do I really need to do this? There's a real intention, but there's a pause with it. Rather than reacting and saying, yeah, yeah, I want to go out. Let's just, this is my way of getting my dopamine fix or my way of having fun and I'm just going to do it. But it's like, hang on, but what is it that you wanted as your goal? And if we keep saying yes, 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 we need to also understand what is this yes, yes, yes. And is this meeting your needs or are we just bored or are we just like filling time? And is that time, like you said, you want to understand investments or could we not use that time for other things? Because I think sometimes... 
if we're not attuned to this and it's like, hang on, how are we using our time as well? How What's the relationship that we have with time? Are we just giving it out? Or are we using it, doing the things that we want to do? And that's something I, I talk about in, in like therapy when people come in and we look, go back to basics and we really understand their relationship with the world around them. But that's all about the relationship that they have within them. And it's really interesting when people don't realize that, oh yeah, I can say no to someone and that's okay for me to say no because the rules of life have always been that you can't let people down or they've invited you. It's rude to say no. So even just setting boundaries with that so you can do things for yourself is such a beautiful thing for people to start doing and because they're living for themselves. It's so funny. It always just comes back to guilt, doesn't it? Yeah. Emotion, shame and guilt that we carry, we carry so strong within us. We often talk about this idea of value-based spending where you, rather than trying to have a hard budget, you say, what are the three things I really value? And for myself, I really love getting my nails done. It just makes me, yeah, makes me feel better. I feel like I've got my life together. My friends know when things aren't going well. If they see me with chipped nails, they go, Simran, what's happened? You're not taking care of yourself. So it's a telltale sign. But I love getting my nails done, so I will spend money on that. I love skincare, so I will maybe get, you know, the, the nicer products in that. I don't really value clothing or shoes, so I don't spend a lot of money in that. I like traveling. I, I'm not a huge traveler, so I don't need to spend a lot of money. But what I'm, as you're hearing this, you're starting to see is things that I go, okay, these things are important to me and I will put more money here. And then there's other things that like don't matter as much. And so I'll put less money there. And all you have to do to make sure that you are on track is you look at your spending, you do the scary thing, you download your bank statement for the month. And you look at where everything's going and you ask yourself, is my spending aligning with my values? Because if my value is trying to save up for a deposit, then I should see more money going towards that than just, you know, spending time with my friends or going out or shopping. If my value is having a good time in the present, going out, shopping, spending time with friends, then that's great. I'm in line with it. That's what I want to do. But like you said, you can't do it all at the same time. You can't value that and buying a home deposit or saving for a home deposit. So you've just got to adjust your value-based spending to a point where it's in alignment with your values and your values will change over time. It's not going to be the same every five years. And so you can start to shift things right now. My value is saving up for retirement. I mean, I know that's a very long time away, but putting more money towards the retirement fund so that maybe I can retire at 50 rather than 65 things like that. Yeah. And even what you said earlier, something really powerful that just because you're investing doesn't mean that you have to deprive yourself. You, If you want your nails done, put money aside for that. If you want to go out once a week, put money aside for that. But what you're doing is you're budgeting in your head that, okay, this is for this, or this is for this. So you're not depriving. Because sometimes I find that people think investing means like you, you, you have to save every penny and you're not allowed to do fun things and it's not going to be fun. It's going to be really intense and you're going to be broke and you're not allowed to do it. And it's like, no, it doesn't have to be like that. And I, I wonder what your advice is for people who think that it's going to be really hard or it's going to be a strain. I often put investing down to like the gym analogy, because imagine if you started going to the gym and you're like, if you have two people, let's say like Sally and Sarah, and if Sally says, you know what, I'm going to cut out all sugar, all gluten, I don't know why people think gluten's bad. I guess maybe she's intolerant. I'm going to cut that out. I'm going to cut out all fats. I'm going to go to the gym every single day. I'm going to do 10,000 steps every single day. Starting tomorrow, boom. 
and let's say you've got Sarah who goes, I'm going to go to the gym three times a week, even if that's just to turn up and walk on the treadmill for 30 minutes. And I'm going to cut out going and getting takeaways, but whatever I have at home, I will eat. Who in the long term is going to be successful? Probably the latter person, probably the one that isn't going guns blazing, but she's creating habits that are sustainable. And money is the exact same. There is no point trying to be the person that cuts everything out and you say to yourself, I'm never going to get, you know, delivery, takeaway food. I am not going to spend a dollar out in town. I'm going to just stop buying gifts for everyone and I'm going to live off nothing. That's not a way you can live your life forever. But if you say, I'm going to choose two things I value and I'll spend money on that and everything else I'll kind of drop down and maybe spend only 50% of what I'm doing and that money that I'm saving there can go towards a deposit and I'll just put, you know, 50 pounds or $50 a week into a fund. That might not get you there as quickly, but it will get you there long term. Yeah, it's simplifying it. It sounds like it's just simplifying it, but making it easier for you to manage. And it's not a big shock to your mind and body because otherwise it's like, oh my God, what you're just jumping in the deep end without knowing how to swim, expecting yourself, right, okay, you need to swim, you need to just get in there and and, and go. But also I would say like, what's that about for the person and, and what relationship do they have with themselves if they're expecting that or themselves to do that? Like what's that pattern that's going on there for them? And that's really interesting. So if you are someone like that, it'd be interesting just to understand more about your patterns there. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. I remember when I started investing, you know, I had saved about $300, which you don't need anymore these days. You can start with $10. You can start with a dollar, but I'd saved up $300 and I put it into a single company at the time I put it into Amazon. And then I thought, is that it? Like I thought there were going to be, I thought there was going to be confetti that fell from the sky. I thought there was going to be someone congratulating me. Like we get so overwhelmed. We think that investing is this big, scary thing and that I have to go into a bank or talk to a man in a suit and he's going to tell me all these big, scary words and I'm just going to like freak out and then go home and not know what to do. Investing is just so different in this day and age. We have online brokerage accounts, which are kind of like, I like to liken it to online shopping where you log on in the same way that you see like five different shirts, you just see five different investment companies and you go, oh, I would like to buy uh, the FTSE 100, which is the top 100 companies in the UK, or I want to buy the S&P 500, which is the top 500 companies in the States, or the Australia ASX 200, which is the top 200 in Australia. And you just take it to the checkout and you swipe your card in the same way that you do online shopping, and now you own an investment fund, not the entire fund, but you own a unit of it, and now you're an investor. It's not as complicated as it used to be, but it just comes down to being allowed to have access to that information and allowing yourself to absorb that information. Yeah. And when uh, the exact sort of process that you were just talking about, people have that with therapy as well. They they come in thinking it's going to be this big, scary thing that we're going to talk to someone who's going to tell them that their childhood was like this and this is what's gone on. And it's like, it's not that big. And when they come in, they're like, oh, it wasn't as bad as I thought. And it sounds like investing is the same thing. It's like there's this big block that people have this big like word investing or therapy. And it's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Like, oh, forget it. And they avoid, 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 have the blinkers on. And then eventually 
okay, I need to do something here. And that's when then they eventually go into these spaces and realize actually it's not that bad. So me avoiding it has just stopped me from doing things that actually are going to be beneficial for me. So I think one piece of advice there for anyone listening is don't be scared. Don't be scared and let fear drive you. Really just start opening the doors and stepping into these spaces to try and invest because we're not we're not crazy people. Like there's a therapist here and there's someone who invests here. We're not we're here to want to help and, and support people. Absolutely. And in the same way, like the benefits of therapy is, you know, you've got this big, it feels like this big hill that you have to overcome to get started. But what's on the other side is this life where you now have tools and resources to, it's the whole wings idea. You know, you don't know what's going to come to you. You cannot control what happens in your life, but you now have the skills to self-regulate and manage and go, okay, I'm, I'm seeing that I'm doing something here that I'm not used to doing. Why am I doing it? How can I manage it? And investing is the exact same. You know, there's this big hill of information that you have to overcome. And the other side of that is a life where you feel one good because when you invest, there's like a mental change where you're like, me, I'm an investor. Like this was a word that I used to put to people that had their life together. And now I have like an investment account and I have a real estate account and I have like bonds, like who am I? So there's that. But there's this other side where you just find that your relationship with money gets better and you start to manage it more and you view money differently. Now you see it as opportunity rather than something that's working against you. I guess what I'm seeing in this conversation is a lot of really good things have really hard starts, but what's on the other side is definitely worth it. No, I completely agree. And what what would you say is your most empowering story that you've um, come across in, in your work with uh, someone that you've worked with or someone that you've seen in, in the business? My most empowering story and one that I screenshotted and like have kept on my phone because I, I refer to it often, you know, in the days when you're like, are we really creating change? You'd get quite deep in your head. We had a woman reach out to us and she said, hey, I was getting a divorce in 2020 and I had $8,000 to my name. I then took your investing masterclass and since then, this is January 2023, my $8,000 has turned into $35,000 and it's helped me get through the divorce and it's helped me live a better life. Now that's a 120% return. That's not usual. That's not like she's done better than I have. That was a very interesting case, but it goes to show like she's done that work. She's been smart enough to find good investments. That's not something girls that investors taught her, but what we've taught her is how to start investing. And what we've given her is the tools to think that she can. And what that has allowed for her is a life where she could move on from her divorce. Everyone knows that post-divorce things don't get easier. They get harder. Things get split up. You lose often your home. You lose a lot of assets. Even if you have a prenup, things or or don't like it's never easy. Lawyer, like it's just a terrible situation. And for her to now have a life where, you know, thirty five thousand dollars is a huge amount of money that is life changing, and the life that she has going forward is going to be one that she's choosing, not one that she's you know looking around and trying to settle for. Yeah, and also that belief that she would have got from that, like, where is that going to take her? That's so beautiful just to see that she's taken that course and that one course has 
allowed her the tools to be able to be like, I can do this and I'm going to do this and feeling empowered to get it done. We've also gotten a lot of messages from people saying, I'm really angry at this course. And I used to get stressed. I used to be like, oh my God, what have we done? They'd go, I'm really angry at this course. I'm really angry at this book because I wish this existed 20 years ago. And I feel terrible that I've missed out on all these gains. And I wish I had access to this information. And I know it's not too late because yes, the best time to you know plant a tree is 20 years ago, but the second best time is today. And I'm glad I've learned it today. And it's something I can pass on to my daughters and granddaughters and nieces and nephews. That one always breaks my heart. Yeah, that's beautiful. Honestly, it really is. And I'm really, really thankful that you shared that because there's going to be people out there who are going through a divorce or are in a really difficult place and they look at their bank balance and they just think, I can't do that. Like I've only got this much. And it's like, no, you, there's no, like you said, there's whatever you've got, you can start with wherever you are. You're in the place now to start and, and to make it work for you. But it's you taking that initial first step to to make it happen for you. It's interesting, isn't it? It just it's so powerful being able to realize that you can have control of your financial future. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And also the financial future is like you said, freedom. It's choices. It's things and that you can start living this life in the way that you want to, rather than being dictated, like I need to get to work, I need to do this, because that also then brings up stress. It brings up anxiety. You're not feeling like you're um, living to a purpose. You're not li- feeling that um it meets um your work-life balance. And that all then can impact on the body and how the body manages stress. So it's almost like it's not just freedom of okay, making choices, it's also freedom for your mental health and um, for choices mm. of your, your happiness, your joy, which I think is so beautiful in its, in its own way. It's, it's just a tool I wish everyone had access to. Like it just, the world would be a much better place if every person, but especially every woman was able to have her own money. Yeah. And you're in 150 countries and it's just going to keep spreading and I'll continue to help spread the the word because I think more more women need to to hear this and also just to share it with their daughters and continue sharing the secrets and and having these tools there because they're available. They are. Oh, well, thank you so much for for saying that. That does mean a lot. I think it's such an important mission for me. I feel like this is like my life's mission. You know when people are like what's your calling? I used to be like I don't know. I'm still figuring it out, but I think in hindsight, my life's calling has always been this. Yeah, yeah. And when we say this, is it like to wake people up to what they're capable of, essentially, financially? It's giving people the aha moment where they're like, oh, that's all it is. Like, I understand it now. It's the, oh, I can understand this thing. And it used to seem really confusing, but investing is for me. It's it's letting that become so normalized. I often joke with my team. I'm like, our job is to make sure that we don't have to exist. Like our job is to make sure everyone understands investing and they're teaching their daughters and eventually girls that invest is obsolete because people just get this knowledge from their own homes. And there's something beautiful there about going back to the the first quote that you mentioned about the wings and the um, trusting the branch. Essentially, what you're doing is you're teaching people to, you've got your own wings, like you can use them, they're there, and this is how you use them. And go on, carry on and share the message with other people that they've got their own wings as well. And it's a ripple effect. So that in itself is so beautiful because you're sharing love. You're coming from a place of love and sharing that and letting people not be dependent on other people, but saying, you've got your wings. Come on, let's fly. Let's use them. 
Oh, that's a really beautiful way of saying it. Thank you. And I just want to say thank you for your time. Thank you for making time because I know you're on the other side of the world, as we were saying at the beginning. So thank you for making time. I appreciate that. And I'll continue to, like we said, share your message. But if people want to get in contact with you, if people want to know more about you or if they want to follow you, where do they find you? If you want to, you can find us on our website, girlsthatinvest.com. We've got our Instagram account. We've got our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. So that'll be an easy find. And if you have any questions, you can always email us at hello at girlsthatinvest.com. Before I head off, I just wanted to say the amazing work that you're doing on this podcast. Like we see it. We are so proud. It's changing lives. And I think there is this is something that didn't exist when we were younger, right? Like being able to have these open and honest conversations, understanding the whys behind people and what they're going through and how they process things and just normalizing. I guess it's very similar, but allowing people to feel empowered to go, you know what? I do do this and now I'm going to get it sorted and I'm going to do it in a safe place. And the world is going to be so much better off because of this. So just thank you for the work that you do. We know it's a lot behind the scenes. I appreciate it. Thank you. For me, it's like just helping people realize that we're all so unique. We're all so different. Everyone's on their own journey. And it's like, okay, what's your journey? And what is it that you might need more of or understanding your patterns to be able to then continue moving forward without limiting yourself and blocking yourself? So for me, it's like, I'm going to help as many people as I can by them <laughs> understanding other people's journeys. So I appreciate you sharing yours. Before we end, Simran, we always ask one question. And it's the same question we ask everyone. Um, and it's a really random question, but it's a really powerful question. Do you feel that life is fair? Oh. Yeah, no. it's a big question. No, I do not feel like life is fair, but I feel like I have a responsibility as to how I react to that. I could spend my whole life being really upset that it's not fair because it is extremely unfair it's unfair for women it's unfair for young women it's unfair for women of color you know it's unfair for people that come from low socioeconomic backgrounds but i think i have a responsibility to do my best to make it fair as much as i can for myself and people around me that's beautiful thank you for sharing that i appreciate that i'll put you on the spot thank you <laughs> no no i hope that answered it and as always, to finish off with our disclaimer, Girls That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence. Alrighty, till next time team, bye.